Welcome to the Family Law Now podcast. Today's subject is organizing the collaborative practice movement. We have a very special guest with us today. He's a international traveler because I think his wife's a, a stewardess. Is that right? Flight attendant. Flight yeah. attendant. Come on, get yeah. it right, Russ. So what, Brian <laughs> Gilbert, welcome. Thank you, Russ. So what was the last place you guys traveled to? Oh, I don't know. We're, we're in the States a lot. Uh, I've got a, an upcoming trip uh, uh, to France. We're nice. doing a, a workshop there and uh, uh, Nashville and New Looking Orleans forward to and Nashville. Chicago and San Diego and I don't know, lots of, lots of trips. I, uh, probably a year and a half from now, we're going to Hong Kong. We've been wow. uh, in talks about uh, me doing some talks over there. So Through the IACP? Yes, well, through my connection through the AACP. So, Fantastic, yeah, great yeah. stuff. Well, organizing the collaborative practice movement, let's talk very briefly an overview of collaborative practice and uh, for the listeners who don't know what that's about. What we try to do is work matters outside of the court system, focusing on goals and interests. We sign a participation agreement with certain rules. One of the basic tenets is that uh, the lawyers agree not to go to court. We'll talk about that a little bit more in detail. Um, but really, it's a, a great way to resolve family disputes and divorces and emotions that go with divorce. What I want to talk a little bit about today is organizing collaborative practice. You know, it got off the ground in California. It's grown in the U.S. It's come to Canada for uh, a few decades now. Well, it all started in Minnesota. It was right. a guy named Stu Webb, yeah. and he'd been a family law lawyer, and he'd just finished a horrendous uh, custody battle at right. trial. And at the end of it, he said, either I'm going to change my profession. Uh, he was a trained pharmacist. So the thought was he might go back to being a pharmacist. Counting pills. Yeah, or he would change the way family law was, was done. And he came up with this concept of staying out of the court and working together to help problem solve the, the client's issues. Stu's great. We see him at conferences once in a while. He's a bit of a celebrity. He is, and uh, that was 25 years ago, uh, or 20, no, more than that now. Many more, many, almost coming up to 30 years, and it's really uh, gone worldwide now. And how long have you been practicing uh, collaboratively Uh, in Ontario? I think I took uh, my first training probably in 2004, 2000, I think it was 2004. Right. So, yeah, it's it's become a passion, that's for sure. Yeah, it sure has. Um, so let's talk about the organization of this movement in Ontario. So we have lawyers and professionals who get training, usually over two sessions. The first one's three or four days, and the next one's a few days. And you do the training for these people. And we have a lot of sole practitioners and small firms who do collaborative work. Um, and then we have local practice groups. And local practice groups uh, here, we have one in uh, York Region, we have Durham, Toronto, Kawartha, Ottawa, scattered throughout the province. What are, what's the general structure of these local and purpose of these local practice groups? Well, the local practice groups give an opportunity for everyone to discuss how they're going to practice and sort of set up the protocols and the ways of interacting. Uh, that's that's the probably the impetus when it's initially being set up. But eventually it becomes a a community and it's a place where people can develop trusting relationships with each other and hone their skills uh, and uh, have some fun together 
so that when they do get to a case that they can work really efficiently and effectively for their clients. They usually meet once a month. They'll take a few months off in the summer. Yep. There'll be some training involved. There could be a special guest speaker. Lawyers and professionals will talk about you know some interesting cases they're working on or some roadblocks that they're hitting. And it's a bit of a sounding board. And it's a good networking uh, feature for a lot of solo lawyers or small practitioners. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've, uh, in our practice group here, we've had, uh, uh, in the past, we used to have a lunch and learn where we'd, uh, or a brown bag lunch where we'd get together once a a month for a lunch and bring in a speaker or what have you. We had uh, collaborative cocktails where we would meet at five o'clock at at a local bar uh, once a month and, uh, Sometimes have a speaker, sometimes just uh, have some fellowship. Yeah. Uh, and then, then we'd have, you sometimes bring in, um, last fall we had uh, uh, six practice groups work together and brought in a, a speaker by the name of Mark Weiss, who's an internationally well-known uh, collaborative practitioner from Seattle, Washington. He was great. Yeah. And we brought them all in together to... Uh, for our practice groups to have the opportunity to hear from an international caliber uh, speaker. That's a fantastic opportunity. Usually these practice groups will have memberships and membership rules. They'll collect fees. Those fees may be used to market or promote the group within that community and try to get the word out on the street. Yeah, most of the practice groups have their own website where they have a a roster with uh, profiles of their members and and also an explanation of what the collaborative process is all about. And yeah. It's another way of getting the word out. And if you're looking for a collaborative lawyer or professional, there's a good chance there'll be a collaborative practice group close to your community. Absolutely, yeah. Now, we also have provincial bodies, uh, collaborative uh, speaking. We have the uh, Ontario Association of Collaborative Professionals, which was formerly called the OCLF. What's the purpose of the provincial body? Well, it's, it's a, um, you cannot be an individual member of uh, OACP. It's, uh, the membership are the practice groups. So it's a, what we call a federation in the sense that, that uh, all of the practice groups come together and work together to help uh, uh, better the practice and to uh, improve our process and our skills. So, for example, I'm, I'm chair of the... Uh, the trainers committee so all of the people offering trainer training in the province are meeting on a regular basis to try to develop a, an agreement as to a, a common curriculum so we're all teaching kind of the same material so that we're all on the same page right. um, but we've also done different things like uh, set up a, a designation for advanced collaborative professionals people who have uh, advanced skills, they can get that designation to show that they are an advanced practitioner. But we also lobby the provincial and federal governments to open the door to more collaborative cases and, and any resources. changes to the law yeah. and that sort of thing. And some marketing as well. We've gone, uh, the association sent um, uh, trainers uh, to different practice groups to do retreats. Uh, and uh, to help regenerate the the practice, the local practice groups. Some so, great resources on the site, videos, yes. how-to guides, lots they of information. Just spend a fortune uh, revamping the the website, and uh, it's really a great resource uh, that you know lawyers or I should say 
divorcing divorce professionals can use their website uh, to send clients to to get more information and lawyers as well other Absolutely. professionals i go there quite often so the local practice group you have a membership one member one vote you have an executive and then you vote on certain aspects of whatever policy or right. project that you're undertaking but the um OACP is different. You have delegates from the local practice groups, which form the membership of the OACP. Right. Yeah. So, so we have an annual general meeting and a and a plenary meeting where delegates show up uh, are invited and show up to participate in the decision making. And then, of course, uh, um, there's a board of directors, and uh, so I'm on the board right now, and uh, uh, we meet on a monthly basis to give direction to the and to I'm the not sure if it's still this way it's not one member or one delegate one vote you want to come to an agreement it's not a majority rule situation. it's a consensus yeah we want to always have a consensus and then uh, some of the kickback or some of the I've heard is that it's sometimes hard to get a consensus it, it so is you're really indeed. walking the talk here if there's no agreement you don't do it absolutely and uh, yeah sometimes it takes a little longer to build that consensus and have to set up subcommittees or whatever to understand people's concerns and, and find ways to address them. So. Yeah, great stuff. Now, we have some other provincial bodies as well. One is um, the Association of Family and Conciliation Courts. What do you right, know about? the AFCC. It's, uh, as I understand, it's an, uh, an international organization. And in fact, we uh, had their major international conference right here in Toronto last year. And Ontario has a chapter as well. Yes, and then there's uh, local chapters. And as I understand it, I'm not as familiar with that organization, but I understand they they bring together people who are involved in the court system and also as well involved in alternative dispute resolution right. processes and, and mediation arbitration and, and everyone that's uh, helping clients uh, work through the... Uh, the divorce process. So they have collaborative professionals, but a slightly bigger umbrella to bring in some additional uh, people aimed at resolving disputes. Yes, and it's a, um, a lot larger component of it is court and uh, that part of the uh, process for resolving issues. Right, and FIDRIO, which is the Family Dispute Resolution Institute of Ontario, same kind of idea, big umbrella, lots of collaborative professionals, and they hold conferences usually in Toronto and other places, to promote the idea of resolving matters outside of court. Right, yeah. So the uh, that helps us with the provincial structure, but I know that you're also um, actively involved in the IACP. I had an opportunity to go to one of the conferences in Seattle, fantastic organization. They just recently had a conference in Ottawa, which was uh, really, really well done. What's the mission statement of the IACP, and what's, what do you do to, for them? Well, the, the mission of the IACP is to really be a hub for uh, people practicing collaborative practice throughout the world, but also uh, anyone else working in the consensual uh, uh, resolution of uh, family law disputes. So um, it's been around for many, many years, and uh, we have uh, close to 3,000 members now, in over 20 countries around the world. So I serve on the board of directors uh, and I'm also chair of uh, two committees that they have. I, I'm chair of the Access to Collaborative Committee, uh, which is uh, helping to find ways to bring collaborative practice to 
people of modest means or, or people uh, in the middle class. And uh, so we're, we're collecting right now information about uh, different programs that people have running. Some are pro bono, free programs for persons. Uh, uh, some are, have a, uh, a scale of fees, though so there's a, f a fee that is, is paid based on their ability to pay. And uh, I have a program that I, we started in Simcoe County uh, called the Streamline uh, Flat Fee Process, which is uh, uh, intended for people. Uh, what, what we're trying to do is attract more of the middle class. Fantastic idea. And we're going to actually have a separate podcast on that. Maybe yeah, I'll tell you more about that. Dive a little that. bit deeper into it. What the, does IACP stand for? International Brian? Academy of Collaborative Professionals. So this is sort of an international group focused on collaborative practice. Yes. And it includes other groups as well. Or other other um, professionals other than just collaboratively trained it, professionals. It's, it's, it is, its primary focus is collaborative practice. And uh, uh, as a result, it, it has members uh, who are lawyers, but also people who are financial professionals and financial professionals as well. I was amazed at the diversity in terms of the international flavor to it. We have people presenting from Italy, from all over the world, and it's, uh, it's quite unique to think, okay, well, they're doing collaborative practice in Italy, and how are they approaching it? The one lady was really big on diagramming everything out in terms of the process and interest, and it was really quite insightful. Yeah, and um, uh, this the other day we had a board meeting uh, via Zoom, and uh, there's 15 of us on the screen, and it was pretty cool because there's someone from Italy someone from Hong Kong, someone from Singapore, someone from Australia, people from all over the United States. Every time zone was covered? Oh my goodness, and yeah, every time zone. And some people were yawning because it was early morning, some right. were yawning because it was late at night. Uh, but we were all working together to, to really make a collaborative practice more accessible to the whole world. And it shows you how the movement's really become international. Yeah, yeah. It's quite inspiring. Now you have members. Uh, let's talk about the structure of the IACP. You know what, what just a comment about the international. Um, our president is Chris Farish, and he's had conversations with people who are finding, who are saying to him that when collaborative practice comes to their community, they feel like it's a coming home. It's, it's a, a practice that makes sense to them mm -hmm. because it's more in line with what they used to do on a traditional basis. Uh, and then what happened is the country was maybe colonized and this English judicial process was Law imposed on them. advocacy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now uh, collaborative practice, that sort of building consensus, problem solving, working together, working with the elders in the community, working together as a, as a team, that feels very comfortable and familiar to them. It's so it's kind of neat. It's a circle for a lot of the Yes, yeah, it's really interesting that way. Yeah. yeah. So how, do, how is this organization structured? What do we need to know? Uh, is it votes, memberships? Is it like the OACP or is it more like collaborative practice groups? Well, it's, um, we have individual memberships and, and uh, um, you pay a fee and then you have a, a reduced uh, cost to go to the annual international forum. You've been to the forum. Yep. It's a spectacular event. Uh, the next one coming up uh, is in Chicago. 
And then uh, we're if, so happy to be bringing you to, to Toronto. The, if you can go to the farm in Chicago, go. It's really yeah. an incredible energy, lots of learning. Everybody is uh, really, uh, really comes together as a community. It's yeah. really quite something. So after Chicago, we're hosting it in Toronto. Which so there's is no excuse for our no listeners excuse. in southern Ontario not to go. I know. That's right. And you have uh, speakers from all over the world coming together and uh, uh, presenting what they're doing and how they're solving problems. And like the OACP, there's lots of information and training available through the IACP. Yeah. The website's very uh, robust, lots of videos, lots of great information there. What is that open to the public or how can people get well, access the, to that? Yeah, there's a component of it that, or a portion of it that's open to the public. Uh, and then if you become a member of the IACP, there's other sections of it, like the resources section that's uh, restricted to uh, members only. One of the neat things that we've started to do this year is webinars. And uh, once a month, they ha bring together a group of uh, internationally well-regarded well -regarded, uh, trainers and uh, thinkers about in the collaborative practice movement to share what they're doing and what they're learning. And uh, it's just amazing, really great. And in terms of, there's some other movements as well, maybe not as structured or as formalized as what we've talked about today. But we're seeing think tanks develop up, uh, other organizations doing collaborative practice. Um, what have you seen? What's on the horizon? Well, there? there's groups, what they call pods. Uh, and these are like smaller groups of people that have uh, been working together for many years. Some have been around for 15, 20 years. And they, they meet once a, a month to talk or Sometimes it's a, it becomes a book club where they're reading an interesting book together and sharing their uh, reactions to it. And, uh, so that, that it works best when there's strong relationships and so that the whole process does. And so although you need an international organization to help spread the whole word and to be a hub for all these different organizations, a sounding board and a connector, uh, you also need small groups on the local level so that you can build those trusting relationships with people right. you're working with. We're going to talk about marketing in another podcast, but these groups are a great way to network, great way to meet other professionals, great way to form your own teams and connect um, in a collaborative setting. Right. And it's a great way for not only sole practitioners, smaller firms to help get the word out and to build their practice. Right. And, uh, you know, most of family law professionals are in small firms or they're sole practitioners or they're two or three. And you and I have larger firms, but, but most are very small firms. And so uh, one of the great advantages to these small practice groups is being able to connect with people away from the work and just to share in the issues that you're each each struggling through. And I know for a sole practitioner, it can be quite isolating. Um, right. You know, and, and I've talked to a lot of collaboratively trained lawyers who say, well, it's hard to get the work. I might only do one or two files a year. So these groups and these networks are a great way to get out there and to meet other professionals. And right. To grow your own personal network because if you're just doing, you know, a small firm, you know, some of these small practitioners do a little bit of everything. Uh, they would prefer to stay at a court, but they get dragged into court. They have the training, but they don't have the work. 
So these organizations provide them with an opportunity to sort of expand their market. Absolutely, right. Yeah. So that was excellent information, Brian. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Any closing comments? Well, it's a pleasure always uh, hanging out with you and, and always great to talk about collaborative practice. It's, uh, it's a real, really growing movement, and I think uh, we're going to see big changes in the next few years. Yeah, and a quote that I heard you say one time, and I, I say it repeatedly, is the full team's a magical place. So right. when you have a full team, everybody's on the same page to resolve uh, a family's uh, divorce or separation. And even if it's a high-conflict family, it's incredible the f- how flexible and adaptable a full team can be. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the more cases we can get to do it collaboratively, I know the courts are grateful to get these matters off their dockets. Uh, the system seems a bit overloaded right now with self-represented litigants and... Um, there's a resource-based argument, I think, that is really quite effective to say collaborative is a choice that you should look into. Absolutely, and we're seeing some of the judges in the United States are actually uh, actively referring people out of the courtroom and and into uh, a collaborative practice case. And we're fortunate we have judges in Southern Ontario who are collaborative practice lawyers. We do. Uh, Not to name names, but I can think of about a half dozen off the top of my head. And they're always more than willing to help out or to try to encourage clients to pull their matter out of their court system and think of it. Uh, Absolutely, that's true too. As we get more and more uh, judges who have worked uh, collaboratively, we're going to see more and more of that as well. Let's hope so. Great stuff. Thank you so much for being with us today, Brian. I want to thank everybody for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and families and colleagues.